Good evening. You are listening to a Rattlegion Broadcasting Premier Podcast TV party tonight. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And tonight, our favorite show is Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, Season 1, because it just got picked up for a Season 2. It is not the mini-series I thought it was. Dribbling on the court, as he does, (laughs) (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, the slam dunk master, the bird man, Larry Bird, Jason Teasley. How do you do, sir? How you doing, man? Doing good, doing good. Really enjoyed this series, actually. Uh kind of caught me off guard how actually good it was so i um i i tapped you to do this because one yeah especially at the time not so much anymore but at the time i was looking for some other stuff to do that wasn't in our usual wheelhouse and i as the resident jock i guess of the rattle and broadcasting network um i was like okay i bet i bet jason would when i saw that adam mckay and hbo were doing this lakers series I was like, I bet Jason's going to watch this. I bet Jason will really like this. I bet Jason's going to want to talk about it. Let me get out ahead of this and pitch it to you. And you were like, yeah, I'm in. So, but I, I have to ask, one, like, how big of a basketball fan are you? Are you, know, do you follow, like, college basketball? Do you follow professional basketball? Who are your teams, if so? All that. Um, Back, back in the day, I guess you could say, I sound old saying that. Back in the day, I was a huge professional and college basketball fan. Uh, mm-hmm. So a lot of this era uh, is is my wheelhouse. Uh, I was, you know, er, uh, 80s, early 90s, well, all the 90s. Uh, I was an NBA fan. I watched NBA basketball a lot. Uh, watched I watched more college basketball than anything uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to basketball. Um, so, yeah, I related a whole lot to this because, you know, the magic – Magic Bird eras, the Jordan Kareem, you know, all that. Dennis Rodman, when he came in the league, Isaiah Thomas, the Knicks dynasty, uh, well, should have been dynasty that never won a championship. You know, I was all in on that. Uh, some of my player, favorite players, Dominique Wilkins, was in this era. So, yeah, I was a big NBA fan during this growing up because I played sports i was a huge basketball fan basketball was my primary sport in life so i resonated with this a lot uh growing up uh i was a huge uh duke which i still am a duke fan um and i was a and professionally i was an atlanta hawks fan because of dominique wilkins I who hated the, Jordan. Who was the really short guy that could jump like 10 feet in the air that played for... Spud Webb. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, Spud <laughs> Webb. Um, uh, I hated Michael Jordan simply because he was Michael Jordan. Uh, I respected his talent. I hated him as a person. And after the Chicago Bulls documentary came out, I hate him even more as a person. Uh, love his work ethic. Hate him as a person. Okay. So, 
so yeah, I mean, this was this was really fun. And I, as you pointed out, I thought this was a mini series, uh, <laughs> which it was not. It, it's a, a seasonal series, so I, that kind of threw me for a loop because up to about the third episode, I was like, "This is going really slow. How are we going to get <laughs> to the entire dynasty?" Yeah. Um, I, I thought this was, as I said, I really thought this was a mini series. When I think when I first researched it, I think it was, and then they were like, no, 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 we're ending with their with that first season championship win, you know. So it's the it's from Jerry Butts to the end of the the finals, but there's still more championships for the Lakers to win, more rivalries that they're going to have. So I guess there's more story to tell if they wanted to, and I guess now they do. This must have done well enough on HBO to warrant that. For myself, um, we were always a music and movie household. Sports did not was not huge, but there are certain as I, as I like to tell people, just because something may not be your thing, there are things that are big enough in the culture you can't get away from them unless you are actively trying. Right. Uh, Magic Johnson was one of those people for me. Like I remember, I played basketball with my friends who didn't. You know, one of the easiest sports to play in any neighborhood across the United States and the world is basketball because all it takes is, a, you know, the, the, the only other one being soccer, which just takes a ball. Um, with basketball, you might not have open fields to play football or whatever, but there's a hoop somewhere. Someone, you know, or someone puts up a, you know, a ring of some kind against some sort of piece of wood and nails it someplace. Yeah. And you could, now you have a basketball net. So I grew up playing basketball too. Wasn't very good at it. <laughs> but I played, um, and I was at least tangentially aware of who Magic Johnson was. I knew he played for the Lakers. I've heard Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I've seen Airplane 2. It's one of my favorite <laughs> movies. Um, and I remember, like, in the early days of video games, like, there was, a, what was it, like, a one-on-one or a two-on-two yeah, video game? Uh, with Magic, Magic. Versus, Magic versus Bird. Yeah, I played the shit out of that game. So I was, like I said, I was at least somewhat aware of the importance of this era, these people, and, you know, and the rivalry between the Celtics and the Lakers, just if nothing else, through that video game. So I was I was interested in this. Also, when I found out who was working on it, this is an Adam McKay jam. And my kind of last bit of table setting before we get into the series proper, how much of Adam McKay stuff are you familiar with? Like, did you, have you seen Don't Look Up? No. You haven't watched Don't Look Up yet? No. Okay, you need to watch. That's on Netflix. You need to watch it as soon as possible. Okay. Uh, how about Vice? Nope. The Big Short. Nope. Really? Jason, yeah. do you not watch movies, or do you only watch Velocipaster? Which, by the way, somebody pitched that to me the other night. They were like, "Have you done Velocipaster yet?" And I'm like, "Yeah, Jason Teasley. <laughs> He's to blame." Uh, yes. Yes. Now, well, no. I mean, I, I watch movies uh, as. As I'm getting ready to watch two movies back to back today, I think. Uh, but I, I mean, I kind of have a niche. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's either it's either really bad B movies that me and you review, or sports movies, or you know, big action movies. I, I don't really go for. It's very rare that I, I go off the beating path. Beaten path. So the style in which this is filmed must have taken you by surprise because I I. When I realized this was Adam McKay and I saw how this was being shot, I saw the very stylized cinematography. I was like, oh, this is so Adam McKay. But if you don't have a frame of reference, how surprised were you that there was so much breaking of the fourth wall, changing in 
cinematography aspects, <laughs> like very pur- the, the, purposeful use of like grainy footage. Uh, the 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 whole breaking of the fourth wall caught me off guard because the first time it happens is when he's driving in. I think it's like basically they're shooting like a promo video for the Lakers, and yeah. then I realized, no, this is this is the the style we're going with. I liked it. Um, okay. Took me took me back to. <laughs> I want this is going to sound funny. Uh, how Saved by the Bell used to do it and. How Zach Morris always broke the fourth wall. Hey, yeah, but this was this when the, he broke the fourth wall. On this, when the fourth wall was broken, it was adding to the story. It was it wasn't like a huge exposition dump. Mm. It was giving you context of what was going on. You know how you know the right. perception, and it was really cool. And the the switch to the grainy footage and everything, I really mm. liked. Um, yeah. I thought this was very well shot. Uh, there wasn't very much, I guess, cinema aspects that I can complain about. Some shots kind of lingered when they didn't need to. But overall, I loved how this was shot. I loved the story. Uh, how it started out was very interesting because... It starts out with the end of Magic's career uh, in the first in the cold open, and when he gets diagnosed with HIV AIDS, um, and you know just kind of what he's going through, you know that first initial reaction, which I mean I'm sure you can relate to when you got the news you did for the first time, you know just kind of that. To be clear, you're Shock talking about I got diagnosed with cancer. I have, I have yet to be diagnosed with HIV. Just want to make that yeah. clear. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, that's why I said when you got the news you did, uh, I did, uh, you know, uh, you know, just kind of that shock and awe effect of like how everything just abruptly changes. Yeah. So I want to uh, just, so I brought it up because I wanted you, I wanted to point out that Adam McKay has a very distinct style. Um, some other stuff that he's worked on in terms of television, uh, he's also the writer and exec. He's also sorry, the director and executive producer on Succession. Um, he was the director, executive producer, and writer for Funny or Die Presents. He was the director and executive producer for Eastbound and Down. All right, so did you ever watch Eastbound and Down? No. Okay, but Jason. Jason. I, I did watch. I, I did watch uh, a, a season of success. That's a sports show, man. That, 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 yeah, that's like softball but thing. I, I, I'm not a Danny McBride fan. Um, okay, I can't talk to you. Anyway, um, Adam, <laughs> so like, if you ever watch, going back to his movies, which are more relevant to the conversation, um, <clears throat> don't look up. There's a lot of the same thing. There's changes in like aspect ratio. There's changes in um, style of cinematography. Uh, there's a lot of breaking of the fourth wall. Uh, Adam McKay definitely has a very pointed perspective on things. Like you never walk away from a, from an Adam McKay project and go, "I don't really know what that was about or what he was trying to say." No, no, no. Adam McKay hits you over the head with a dead fish, <laughs> um, and his style is very distinct. The same thing with uh, the Big Short, which you know myself and Robert reviewed a few years ago when it came out, it was 2015, and we both liked it a lot. Like. I remember the Big Short being one of my favorite movies of that year, and what a year it was. Go back in the archive and check out the other direct we, re- we reviewed that year. 
but it was again <laughs> like trying to explain the financial collapse of 2008 in a way that doesn't have people's eyes glaze over is a feat in and of itself. So he would do things in the movie, like trying to explain, um, not dividends, but uh, gosh, uh, whatever the word it was, I can't remember it right at the second, but where, where they would take loans and then bunch them together and then chop them up. There was a... Um, uh, Hedge derivative. funds? No, derivatives. Oh. So like trying to explain what a derivative was, which was a large, in large part part of the um, foundation of what broke apart that caused the collapse. So the way that he does it is he cuts to Margot Robbie in a bathtub. And she, <laughs> she's like, well, no one's going to listen. To and like they actively say, no one's going to listen to us explain what a derivative is. It's dry and boring. So here's Margot Robbie in a bathtub to explain it to you. And now everyone, now you're interested because Margot Robbie's smoking hot and she's naked. And, <laughs> and she explains it and she's like, all right, fuck off now. And, and that's funny, you know, and there's a yeah. lot of that in the big short. So anyway, so back to... Um, the Lakers here. I want to start off talking about the Jerry West. Oh, okay. Because uh, I remember because in our group chat you've brought this up now a couple of times. So let's just let's just deal with it right from the beginning. So Jason Clark uh, uh, of Skynet fame from the Terminator plays Jerry West. Uh, Jerry West was a player in, uh, on the Lakers. He was a coach at the beginning of this. He's the coach, but he quits, and then he kind of sticks around as. First, through the transition to the new coaching team, which is which takes up a large amount of screen time over the first couple of episodes, and then he kind of hangs around as like a consultant. Um, he is portrayed in the show as somebody who is foul-mouthed, short-tempered, passionate, overly committed, opinionated, and generally not a great person. But it's not that he's a villain as such. He is portrayed as somebody who is almost obsessed with getting the the Lakers in particular to a championship to the exclusion of all else, including the relationships around him. And you had some insight into that, Jason. You, you talked in a group chat about like, that's, I can see why Jerry, Jerry West apparently is now suing because it was like, this is so wildly, yeah. I don't even know what to do with myself. Well, uh, this is, this almost constitutes libel. I'll address that in a second, but I want to pitch it over to you about the real Jerry West as you know him to be and your reaction to how he's portrayed in the show. Yeah, uh, well, I grew up in a little place called Logan, West Virginia, which had one of their most famous predominant uh, basketball figure was actually, is actually Jerry West's best friend. Uh, Willie Akers and Jerry West are really good friends. Uh, I met Jerry West on a couple of occasions. Uh, a kid from Logan was being recruited at uh, West Virginia University, uh, where Jerry West played and with Willie Akers. Um, so th there was that connection. And he was probably, and he's originally from West Virginia, right outside of, um, it's Cabin Creek, West Virginia. He grew up in a very poor, uh, economically uh, stifled area. And his basketball was his way out. Uh, I've met, like I said, I met him a few times. One of the nicest guys I've ever met to have the the stature of. Mm. Um, uh, definitely huge basketball knowledge. Um, and the watching this, I, it was really cringy to me because no, the interactions I've had with him and everybody that I know that's had with him is like this really nice individual. Uh, 
but this shows him in a light where he's a complete douchebag asshole. <laughs> and it's like, it's a very stark contrast. Um, so yeah, it kind of, it's kind of really odd for me trying to distinguish <laughs> and try to wrap my head around. Well, is this how he really was? And is this a front or, or are they just portraying him like this? But I mean, you have to think he is the logo of the NBA. I mean, that's how good he was. They adopted his likeness to be the logo of the NBA. And it's mentioned in, in the series. But it, it's really weird. And when I seen all the reports that he's suing, I can understand why. <laughs> uh, Jason Clark, I think, does a great job with whatever character he's given. It's, it's uh, Reading uh, a little bit about... HBO and Adam McKay's reaction to Jerry, the real Jerry West. They were like, we change things for dramatic purposes. It, it is interesting because this is a dramatization. A dramatization is not a documentary. And even documentaries have a perspective um, that's not always the most accurate. So I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. Because on the one hand, having now watched the entire 10-episode season, I... Certainly, his character does bring a dramatic tension to the show. He's sort of an explosive element. You know, when you first meet him, there, there's a lot of the first couple of episodes are just dealing with whether or not they should even draft uh, Magic Johnson and whether or not mm -hmm. Magic Johnson should leave college to go play professional basketball. Um, there's a racial element to it. There's the there's a commentary or a meditation on how we treat high school and college athletes um there's in terms of the racial element it's uh expressed through the rivalry between magic and larry bird larry bird is white he is favored uh, magic johnson's black he is appreciated but not nearly as fa favored as much and to Jer for, for jerry west he's like i don't see i don't see the value in magic johnson i don't want him but and then we need to talk about Jerry Buss, who's played by the great, the great John C. Riley, who is fantastic in this. Oh, yeah. Cannot yes. say enough good things about John C. Riley. Just as an actor in general. Yeah, he and he and this he actually shows uh his range of acting mm -hmm. because there are some dramatic moments in this, like with his mother and stuff. Yeah. Uh that you actually see that he could play those roles. Um and you see the the of course the comedic side. I mean, mm -hmm. he is hilarious. Uh, but the just the range of emotions he has to go through in this, and the relationship with his daughter, the relationship with his mother, the whole he's uh, a doctor coming into a unknown. Well, he's a chemist. Is what he is, he's a chemist who made money um, making missiles. And they took that money and he put it in investments. Those investments uh, in real estate paid off in dividends. Those dividends accumulated to where he could purchase the Lakers, which when we find the Lakers in this era of uh, history, they're on their ass. They're not winning games. They're not winning championships. Um, the league, it's, they talk about this, which I thought was interesting. Again, not, not a basketball historian. So I didn't know that in the late 70s, early 80s, 
basketball in and of itself the nba was was a losing venture like when you think about the nba now or the nfl or major league baseball um you know these are three powerhouse companies these are you know fortune 500 yeah. companies they 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 make in profits billions and billions of dollars per year to think that back then that it was a losing venture they were you know the league was on the verge of shutting down they think they said in the show the yeah it was on the it was on the verge of collapse right. the whole entire league. What a, one of the things the show talks about, which I really, really like, especially as like a marketing historian, such as I am, is how the philosophy at the time was we're going to present a thing that thing should generate ticket sales. Those ticket sales will, you know, will uh, give us profits and sort of this like tacit realization that you can't just put a thing out there and expect people to come. People get bored people lose interest. So we have to make it a spectacle. You can't just go see wrestling. It has to be, it has to feel like a rock concert. It has to feel like a happening, like an event. You can't just go see a basketball game. These basketball players have to be stars in and of themselves. This has to feel like an event. You know, so like, so much of the, they say it in the show and I think it's great. They were like, we're gonna, what was it? We're gonna combine like a rock show with this. They, 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 oh, yeah. They, oh, the Disney World with this and this and this. And they're like, okay, well, how are you gonna do that? And then there's a lot of time spent on the recruitment of cheerleaders. Yeah. Um, and you could attribute the, the pageantry of the NBA you have now mm. to, to the Lakers of this era because before then, uh, you see the rise of the Laker girls, which mm -hmm. is probably the only thing that, you know, female sports related and cheerleading related and stuff. The only thing that uh, is above them is the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. The Lakers girls uh, who have, you know, when we meet one of their most famous uh, alumni in this, Paul Abdul, uh, mm -hmm. she helped form the Laker girls. Um, and just the the pageantry, the over-the-top uh, experience is all contributed to the Lakers and what they deem as showtime mm -hmm. when Magic was there. Uh, and it was just, and they went from a a very, and they explored this in there, they went from a very stagnant style of play to basically what is considered run and gun. You know, you you get it's a lot of fast breaks. It's not a lot of setup offenses. It's a lot of high paced action, and you you get embraced in that. And you see the the them building on that and how it's impacted the league as it is today. And it's great and it's nice seeing that because. Like we like we discussed, the league was on its ass. It was ready. They was looking at everything, anything, and everything. Uh, and it reminds me, going back, just uh, a sidebar here. It reminds me back when, if you ever seen Semi Pro, uh, where they where they have like the the um, back, it was the ABA had like the. If we break a hundred points, everybody gets corn dogs. Or <laughs> at, at halftime, somebody's going to wrestle a bear. Stuff like that, because people that would draw think, fans in. I, I was thinking about the uh, the arena football movie, a uh, Kurt Warner. You know, the the arena football atmosphere uh, of like yeah, 
this is what brings fans in is is that family friendly entertainment venue. It's not just the football, right? Uh, and you have these parks a lot. Uh, minor league baseball does it. it it's what minor league baseball is built on: is mm-hmm. these family nights. These yeah. um, I, I'm li- I can't think of, think of the word exactly, but yeah, it's it, it's these perks of coming to the game. Yeah. So running all the all the way back to John C. Riley as Jerry Bus. The league's on its ass. The team's on its ass. He comes in. He puts all of his money and uh, you know gambling on making the Lakers financially um, sound and uh, and rehabilitating the. The sort of this tacit belief that if we can get the Lakers up and running, the whole legal benefit, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. Um, but this story, what is this ser- series about? It's about how we got to that point, at least in the beginning. It was about getting the coach that's going to change the way the game is played that makes the game more appealing to more people. Um, which, just a real quick thing, you, and you touched on it, but I, I want to ask you a very pointed question. In wrestling, um, there was a way of doing it where uh, it might not have captured the interest. Like, we're trying to show my son matches from the 80s and in the early 90s. He's not into it because it's, you know, wrestling. But that change to the attitude era where... It was, it was, you know, three minutes, instead of 10 minutes of wrestling, it was two minutes of wrestling followed by a pie in the face and chair in the head and a stick in the ass, you know, and then someone flashing their boobs. That's, he's much more interested in. And the whole world was much more interested because the attitude was a boom era for a variety of reasons, many of which I just said. Um, as, a, as a basketball person, are, do you follow sort of the same thing with like, yes, you made it more exciting, but you dumbed it down in such a way that's the impression i'm getting that it is dumbed down in such a way that it's less it's not really basketball as we know it now early basketball I can't watch it's boring really? it's okay. it's really stagnant when when the tide starts shifting here with showtime is you know their boom period that's when i started enjoying basketball because mm-hmm. you had the the fast pace you had the better athletes uh the faster pace and it, it is, and I contribute to this like a, a kind of parallel to hockey. If you actually just watch a hockey game, it's boring as shit. Right. You watch hockey for the fights. <laughs> sure. Uh, no, I mean, that's serious. Well, no, uh, you, it's funny because my wife suddenly has suddenly become obsessed with hockey because one of her teacher friends likes hockey. And so my wife, trying to, fi- trying to find interest in a personality of her own, has now decided she likes hockey too and i came home one night and she's kind of you know right now the the avalanche that in the uh in the lightning tampa bay lightning are involved in the stanley cup finals um so she's very invested emotionally in this and i happen to have walked in and in this really this really nasty fight breaks out and i could see like her whole demeanor change like she's not a combat sports person but boy was she into this hockey fight you know. Yeah, and it's like NASCAR. You don't watch NASCAR for the race. You watch mm-hmm. NASCAR for the wrecks. Yeah, because that's the excitement. That's right. the adrenaline rush. Right. And so, that's what what this is. Is mm-hmm. that more high pace is is the adrenaline rush yeah. and the shot in the arm that basketball needed? Does does take away from the true like? I think about boxing. You know, everyone thought Matt Pacquiao versus Mayweather was the most boring shit ever. But like boxing fans are like, yes, but that's what boxing looks like, as opposed right. to like Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury three, which is, which was the great, which was the best fight of last year, was also not 
so much looking like a boxing match, so much as it was a parking lot brawl. Anyway, um, I want to talk about the series. I don't just sort of a 30 minute rant about sports. Um, so, so much of what Jerry is doing is trying to change the, 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 the legs of the stool of the Lakers are all broken. They need a new coach because Jerry West quits almost immediately. They need new players. That's what the story about magic is about. They need to re they need to rehabilitate the forum because that's, it's a building, you know, it's kind of falling apart. They need to figure out what other attractions they're going to create. So people want to come to a Laker game, win, lose or draw. Um, and then of course they have to get this team to a place where they are winning. That's the most important thing. So that's what the series is about. Uh, John C. Riley, I think does a really great job of playing Jerry Buzz as a flawed person, but somebody, you know, he, he's flawed in that he's kind of like a horn dog. Well, he's a little bit of a car salesman. He's, you know, but I think in earnest, he wants this to succeed. Like this isn't, this isn't major league where he like, he bought the team because, because he wanted to see it fail or whatever. Yeah. His reasons were. Like he's genuinely interested in trying to make it all work. And, you know, he has, there, there were some uphill struggles initially uh, when he's trying to buy the team, um, he almost gets taken. Um, you know, there's a lot of scenes of him struggling with the banks and paying back loans and things like that. But then you also see, I think he he genuinely is portrayed as loving his daughter. But this is the 70s, you know, early late 70s, yeah. early 80s, and you know, women had only gotten the right to vote five minutes before that. <laughs> there's a there's yeah, so, it's such a layered show because again. You're dealing with sports history. You're dealing with racism. You're dealing with classism. You're dealing with chauvinism. All of these things are there. And credit to Adam McKay and the writing team for, I think, handling something that has that has a lot of bite to it, but deftly. Like I don't, I never felt the show was preachy. I felt the show no. was a window into that time period, and that time period had a lot of shitty things going on. And it was handled very delicately. It, yeah. it wasn't you wasn't beat over the head like everything, especially. Uh, and you know, just to touch on this real quick, is uh, I can't remember a name right off the marketing director, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is fantastic. Uh, the conversation she has with the daughter uh, during the game six finals, mm -hmm. uh, and she's like, because everybody's talking about. You know, even Buzz talks about his son. He wants her to show the sons around to see which one's worthy taking over and being part, uh, help running the team. And she's like, and she just feels like disheveled and pushed aside because she's done all this work. And, you know, just that little talk and, you know, and it kind of hits home and you have that emotional tie and that's really hard to do in a sports uh, atmosphere is to have a real emotional um, feeling that you have to see play out. All right. We have to talk about magic now. We have like uh, yeah. less than 30 minutes left plus plugs and we haven't talked about basketball. <laughs> so let's talk about the guy who plays magic Johnson, who I don't think I've ever seen him before. Uh, Quincy, yeah, Quincy, I say, doesn't even have like a hyperlink in the, in the Wikipedia yeah. page. Um, he is as big a part of this as John C. Riley's Jerry Buss. Um, the guy has charisma for days. Like, I can see, I can see it, it casting of magic since a lot of the show rests on his portrayal, um, is very important, obviously. 
If he's not working, I think a big part of the show doesn't work. I don't know. Again, I, I did not watch a lot of Laker basketball back then, but um, you know, I'd have been like four or five at the time. But I, at least this portrayal, uh, Isaiah, name again, Isaiah uh, Quincy Isaiah, I think does a fantastic job of playing the character with a lot of charisma. Um, I like the fact that he goes on a journey himself of being a, a, a bit more selfless. Uh, his relationship with the with the guy who plays Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was just was a sight to behold, really. You know, like they they draw on each other like magnets and pull each other away from their more self-centered and negative behaviors. You have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who is portrayed at this time as being somebody who is doing work. You know, he's he's putting up his buckets. Um, he's doing the job he's supposed to do, but he's not emotionally invested in anything that's going on. He's carrying a lot of anger at the um, societal uh, racism that's going on at the time. Uh, the frustrations of being a black man in this era of the United States. But, you know, the tacit realization that basketball is his job and to, to one degree or another, he likes doing it. So he shows up, but he's not there's not an emotional commitment that really pushes you over the edge until magic comes along and magic's like, and magic points a lot of this out to him in his own way. And he has to kind of move more towards where magic is. Meanwhile, magic is this really young kid. He comes over, he gets humbled by, Oh gosh, I can't remember the big fellow's name. Um, but they're at the party and they play one-on-one -on -one and he's made to look. Yeah. Like it's, it's the starting, it's the starting point guard for the Lakers at okay. the time. Yeah. So he's humbled by that because, you know, he comes over and he's the big superstar um, one of the things that Magic points out is like, I have this rivalry with Larry Bird. Larry Bird makes X. I should make X. I'm just as important, if not more. But you're black, so no. <laughs> and then he comes over and he was like, oh, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. And then he has to sort of go through this growth of, you know, do I do I go back to school or do, do I rise to the challenge and try to better myself in the situation? And ultimately he decides to stay and do that. But there's also him, you know, struggling with uh being the superstar versus being a team player and recognizing that it's not always about him it's about the team you know again rising tide lifts all ships so i thought all that was great you know the only time i fast forwarded through the show is with magic's personal life boy and that that's just a personal <laughs> thing that's not, that's not the show's fault i think you know focusing somewhat on his personal and love life i think gave gives the show needed flavor you know, you understand this is a guy that's going to get HIV later on in life. You kind of have to understand he, you know, likes to put his dick in women, lots of different women, uh, which is fine. I just wasn't interested. I didn't care. And and the women yeah. and, the, and the actresses playing those women are just fine. I just don't give a shit about their perspective at all. Like, like I get it. And after the first couple of times I saw it, I was like, every time later on, as I'm trying to finish the series in time for this review, I was like, gosh, I don't care about any of this. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. Um. The, the the stuff about basketball, the stuff about the, the business end of this, the John C. Riley stuff, you know, that old stuff, that all was were things I was interested in. Magic's love life, not so much, but I'll, I'll kick it over to you. What did you think of his portrayal? You know, was it like the Jerry West thing where it's like, no, it's not so much, or no, this is pretty dead on? I, I'm wondering if this kid is actually one of uh, Magic's illegitimate children <laughs> because okay. he, no, I mean, he looks like magic i mean this casting just the 
the look that he brought to Magic was phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, I'm pretty sure that you know they cast him because he's an illegitimate child out there because he has all the features that Magic did. Mm-hmm. Uh, his portrayal, he this thing rested on his shoulders. Yeah. Uh, if if like you said, if he didn't pull through, if if it was shaky with him, this whole thing falls apart. But I think he did a, a great job, um, especially with how much of the story he has to carry. Mm. Um, the Kareem side, I, I love the guy that they've got to portray Kareem. Uh, and it does show the, I guess, the Rocky, I guess a better word be, uh, could be found, but a rocky relationship that him and Magic had because Kareem was the MVP of the league. He was what the Lakers were built around. Uh, an offense was completely goes through him, and to the point where he even tell makes a comment. He said, "I'll get my thirty and ten, and I'll be done." And they pull up a score sheet at the end of a game. I think he is the game winner in it, and he goes, "Well, I'll be damned." He got his thirty and ten. And, you know, that's just Kareem was phoning it in a lot in the first half of this. And then he sees that it's going to take if they're going to succeed, it's going to take him and Magic working together to the point where they get their first win of the season. Magic gives him a hug and he says, I've got 82 more to go. And um, and it plays out a little bit further because Kareem gets hurt right before game six and he can't travel with the team. He can't play. He actually gets hurt in game five, but he's ruled out for game six. And he has a emotional talk with magic. He says, well, you owe me one more hug. And, you know, you see that transition because Kareem did not want anything to do with magic. He, he's seen this young kid, young brash kid coming in. That's going to take his spotlight. I want to. I want to quick. Just I want. I want you to finish, but I want to point out that Kareem's point of view about can can we as black people not be a little more serious? Can we, you know, can we recognize where black people are in this country and we have so much further to go, and not be so flip and vapid about the existence of black people in this country? And Magic's like, okay, but life needs to be lived. Why are you so angry all the time? I, I like the fact that there's that internal debate in the show between two black men and two different perspectives because I think it's very real. And I think that plays out in one scene. Mm-hmm. And the struggle is when, and it's when Kareem realizes that, and it's like an aha moment for Kareem. Mm-hmm. It's there. It's they're at a Christmas party or something at Magic's house, parents' house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Kareem is sitting there. And, you know, Magic's father comes over and starts talking to him. And he goes, why does he smile all the time? And, you know, he said, and, you know, him and his dad have the exchange because they seen the racism. Right. That Magic really hasn't got to be a part of. So it's like a generational clash uh, is a good way to put it. And, you know, and Magic's dad's sitting there talking to him and and it's like Kareem is just sitting there looking at Magic, just being this carefree social right. butterfly, smiling and everything. Like he's never had to experience the trials and tribulations. Do you, do you not that Kareem has to be black in America? You fool! Like you know what? Yeah, you know, 
Why can't you be more serious about this? And and I that is a great scene. There's a lot of great scenes in this show, but that scene between Magic's dad and I actually want to talk about the scene between Magic and Magic's dad earlier in the show where you know he was like, please stop telling me how to act around white people. You have no idea, just none. Um, but yeah, that I'll let you go back to it. But that scene between the father and and Kareem, where Kareem's like, you can you can see a little bit of jealousy, like why. Why can't I find that level of happiness in existence? Why must I ruminate on how shitty it is for the vast majority of... Because I think Kareem also realizes that if he wasn't a big-time basketball player, how much harder his life would be because he's black. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to realize this does deal with racism. There's racism in America. I mean, hell, it's 2022, and you still see racism in America. Where? Uh, Everywhere. (laughs) <laughs> uh, on this show as a matter of fact damn it yeah we we talk racism a lot <laughs> um but it's it's resonating with it because kareem just sees how hard he has had it as a black mm-hmm. man going through the racism growing up in the racism you know seeing the seeing the hate and everything and magic's just this big smiling goofball that <laughs> doesn't he doesn't take life too seriously, and right. Kareem just can't wrap his head around. Like, don't you understand that we have to struggle? And Magic's like, "Yeah, but if we're great, they can't they can't deny us if we're great." And right. and that's kind of you start seeing that relationship start budding and transitioning to Kareem kind of softening and Magic kind of hardening, and you get that kind of perfect alignment where their personalities mesh and they take traits from each other and build each other up. Yes. It's really nice. Um, just real quick. I want to go back to early in the show where magic is magic goes to the negotiating table and they want to offer him X amount of money. He feels it's substantially less. It's certainly less than what's than Larry bird is making. And they're like, well, you're not Larry bird, which is essentially again, racism there. It's, you know, you're not a blonde-haired white guy that that America is currently obsessed with. You're the really talented black guy, and it's like, but I, but I beat him. <laughs> like I, yeah. I better. Like the, does that not count for anything? And the answer is, it's not really. It's you're still not white. Sorry. Um, you know, I think Chris Rock made that very same joke, where uh, he, where something about like wanting to be white in America, and I'm, but I'm rich already, uh, because black people just have it so much harder. Even when you're, even when you're, when you're wealthy and you're talented. In any case, I there's a conversation that takes place between Magic and his father in the hotel, and Magic is sort of, you know, and, and rightly so, he's hurt by the experience. You know, nothing like being reminded that because of the skin color you were born with, you're less than, uh, or yeah. believed to be so. Even when you're a, you know, gifted and talented uh, super athlete, it's like, yeah, but you're still black. Sorry, <laughs> get, 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 take your place in the pecking order now and do it do, and do it and do it willingly. And Magic's really struggling with that because again, there's a, there's an air, especially at the beginning, and you you touched on it. The word is entitlement. There's an air of entitlement in Magic's character. Um, I did all the things. I'm loved. I deserve more. And it's like, okay, now 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 work in the real world and see how things operate. Yeah. And he's like, and that's part of what makes him want to go back to school. It's like, maybe I don't want to be here. Maybe I don't want to be a professional NBA player right this second because, I, because I'm because i not being elevated 
the way I sh- I feel like I should be. And his, you know, and he says something. And I don't remember what it is that sets his father off, but his father's like, I have worked among white people without being a gifted and you know, and without being a gifted athlete, schmuck. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. don't tell me to act or, how to act around white people. I had to survive, you know, lynching attempts and shit like that. It's like it's just it's a really great scene, and I and I like the fact that Adam McKay and the crew of writers who worked on this show really bring out those. I think it's one thing to talk about the differences, the cultural, philosophical, political differences between white and black culture in America, but then also dig a little bit deeper and look at the internal struggles among black people just themselves the class you know the, the 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 class debates the uh debates over you know blackness what it is to be a black person in america you know in and of itself i like the fact that the show takes time to deal with that that black people are not bored they too have their own internal debates over how black people should be in america and it's not always a pretty looking debate it, it can get ugly um, you see it between Kareem and Magic. You see it between Magic and his dad. You see it between Magic and a lot of the players. Not They're not on the same page politically, philosophically, spiritually. And, you know, the show is about finding that common ground, uh, which I really, really like. Real quick, we don't have a lot of time left, but I, I got to touch on it. How accurate was that portrayal of Larry Bird? <laughs> it was. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Larry Bird's a dick. Uh, when it, he was, he was a fierce competitor, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this was right. And, and it was kind of, um, it was kind of tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. I think they played him, uh, because I mean, there's been so many stories about Larry Bird. Like he would just walk into, he would be warming up and he would just look at a player and be like, yeah, I think I'm going to drop 40 on you. And <laughs> then he'll put, he'd put up 40 before the third quarter and check himself out the rest of the game. And. Like, and, and like he would just, Larry Bird was, and people don't realize this, probably one of the most prolific trash talkers when it came to basketball. Uh, there was a three-point contest. I can't remember what year it was. He just looked at the other competitors and said, who's coming in second because I'm not even going to take my jacket off. And he <laughs> went out He went out and won it while wearing his warm-up jacket. And, like, he was very cocky and very angry. And the relationship between him and Magic was betrayed, uh, portrayed as a, an intense rivalry because Larry Bird never got over the fact that Magic beat him for the NCAA title. And that was the chip on Larry's shoulder. And it was, it was a friendly rivalry. They didn't like really hate each other. Mm-hmm. But there was a very intense competitive rivalry between him and Magic. And I, and I think that they dramatized it way over the top, but it brought a needed element to the story to kind of make it lighthearted. But I hope they they actually explore the deep rivalry that was there because of the NCAA championship. All right. I've more or less covered... I mean, there's individual characters and subplots in this, um, but I... If you're into sort of like the minutia of wheeling and dealing in business and in professional sports, there's a lot here. If you're if you're just looking for sort of that succession or billions kind of you know family slash business 
drama in a television show. There's a lot of that here. Sally Field, a quick comment about her, is a fantastic actress in her own right. Does a great job as Jerry Buss's mother, who's struggling with uh, onset dementia. Um, she does a really great job. And those scenes between John C. Riley and Sally Field are fucking heartbreaking. Just yeah, those are rough, um, especially towards the end. But that's kind of all I wanted to talk about. Any last thoughts? Anything you wanted to touch on, Jason? Before we get out of here, uh, just that I, I really, you really see the start of the Pat Riley experience. In oh LA. Christ! I forgot to talk about all about that. Yeah, um, really, really, really quick. So first of all, that scene where the coach is riding his bike. And then does and yeah. goes ask over tea kettle and like you know takes his whole face off. <laughs> yeah, so, that's gross. Did that really happen? Did he really like like fall off his bike? Yeah, he 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 really had a TBI, a traumatic brain injury. Oof. Um. Well, that sets up Jason Siegel and uh, Adrian Brody. 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 Yeah, Adrian Brody, yeah. Uh, who plays Pat Riley, and then um, uh, Jason Siegel is Paul Westhead. I remember Pat Riley because they named a video game after him. And so it was funny to see this because I didn't realize how he started. So there's a half, there's a fair amount of time spent on the rise of down and out Pat Riley. I didn't realize there was such there, there was such a roller coaster uh, ride of coaches and uh, coaching issues with the, with the Lakers. It was it, it adds to the drama of the show. Again, accurate is that how it went? Yeah, it was it was pretty because when. West leaves. It's like right. It's like three weeks before training camp starts. So mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a shitstorm because uh, <laughs> you have to have a coach. Um, so then they bring bring in uh, Westhead um, and that group, and you're just like, and everything is, and that adds to it because you got a traditional way, and then you've got Westhead bringing in this uh, because he was an assistant in Portland. That had a basically more up tempo speech. Was trying to t- uh, transition that in, getting a new coaching staff in, new player philosophy, everything. So yeah, it was a shitstorm. Uh, the Pat Riley thing is, I laughed because yeah, I mean a lot of people don't realize that he was a, a really good NBA player. Uh, he did win a ring with the Lakers or as a point guard, and he's like. Just in a in a shit show to the where he goes out and plays a pickup game, gets his nose broke, which is kind of a kind of funny thing because throughout his career he never got his nose fixed; it's still crooked. And uh, they just kind of a little tongue in cheek thing how he got his nose broke, uh, and just to see how he is being more or less brought into the fold. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't know how accurate to the character Adrian Brody plays Pat Riley. And they don't, and like I said, Pat, he doesn't really come on to the end. And the drama is you have Jason Siegel's character who's sort of caught in the middle. You know, the, uh, the original coach there, um, you keep saying Westhead. Who is the coach that actually gets. Um, shit. I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Tra- okay. It's Tracy Lettis, Jack McKinney. So yeah, McKinney. So, so McKinney gets injured. Westhead and, and Riley end up taking over for a while. They start winning, but McKinney uh, is cleared to come back. And now it's well. Do you do you stay with the 
do you stay with the coaches that got them as you know as far as they did, or do you go back to the coach that you had originally? And that's part of that's part of the drama of the show in and of itself. And I what I liked about it was it was almost a lovers quarrel, you know. And Jason Siegel's characters are just caught in the middle. But again, I don't know how how accurate any of those portrayals were or how accurate that story is. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that you know probably was dramatized, uh, mm. not because it wasn't really uh, touched on a lot. It was kind of hinted as when a did, another plot point. When does Pat Riley take over as the permanent head coach? Eighty three, I believe. I think okay. it's eighty three. Uh, the eighty three or eighty four season. Um, so it's not for a while yet. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not. Not for a bit. Uh, he played. He takes over in '81. He becomes a head coach in '81. Okay. And what year are we in right now? Seventy. Uh, Seventy-nine. Uh, okay, so it's the '79 to '80 season, and then there'll be one more season, I guess, with the, with West yeah. and Riley, and then. I guess Westhead leaves. Right. Okay, interesting. Um, and Pat Riley was the coach for the Lakers for how long? Uh, I think 12 years. That, that's, uh, my, that's my last comment on this. I really expected a Chiron to come up at the nine. end to ex- explain like what happened to the Lakers after this, in, this inaugural year, and it just ends. I was really – I mean, knowing that they're going to do a second season, I, I could accept it a little bit more, but when I thought this was a mini series and that this was the end of the show – and like, yeah. you know, and I, it was it was weird to me that they didn't summarize what would what would go on to be the Lakers dynasty. Uh, I was a little shocked by that. Yeah, he he's the head coach till ninety. He leaves okay. in ninety. He leaves he leaves in ninety, um, and then he goes to the Knicks, and that's so so. Yeah, it's. I'm glad they're doing. I'm glad they're doing this as a series because there's a lot of stuff you still have to explore, um, and bring into bring into the fold. Uh, a lot of personalities that the Lakers had, a lot of uh, transitioning and stuff. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited. To, I'm sure right. we'll do season two. No, we won't. Um, uh, yes, we will. <laughs> I'm well, on my schedule. I'm cutting back. Uh, two days a week. Well, well, the the season two is probably two years out, so you you've only got the schedule out for eighteen months, so we can put it on there. Get to talk about it with you can talk about it with Evan Bevins. <laughs> <laughs> All right, speaking of Evan Bevins, um, <laughs> so that is our show. Um, check out all the rest of what we did this week. Myself and Robert Winfrey reviewed everything, everywhere, all at once. Spiderhead and the new father of the bride. And then um, we also reviewed Lightyear and Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Last night we dropped our Lordy Skeletric Dinosaur review. Um, next weekend, I'm sorry, next week we've got the final um, review in our survey of queer cinema. We're looking at Benedetta, Brokeback Mountain, and My Own Private Idaho. Jason will be back uh, along with his wife to review the Black Phone and Elvis. Uh, we'll have a review of AEW and New Japan Forbidden Door. And in theory, in theory, in theory, in theory, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, uh, myself and David Wright will be reviewing Star Trek Lower <laughs> Decks Season 2. So 
that's what's going on here on the Rattleligion Broadcasting Network. Please like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcast or on YouTube if you enjoy us in video format. Jason, go ahead and do your plug and let's get out of here. Uh, you could find me over at Mosaic Media, where uh, I am a co-host on uh, From the Cheap Seats with Tyler Louder. Uh, also, check out Mosaic Media for uh, all their content. You got the um, Tyler does a podcast on the Chat MTV's The Challenge, which is really fun and interesting. If you're a fan of that, uh, they also cover uh, an arena football team. Uh, which is really fun. A lot of player interviews and insights to that. So yeah, definitely check out Mosaic Media for all of your media needs. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on our season one review of Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. For Jason Teasley, I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>